0: It's 12 o'clock in Frisco, Texas, and it's time for Smoker Broker Radio with Robert Mesh, a.k.a. The Smoker Broker. Robert is the owner of Small World Realty and has employed hundreds of real estate agents in his 17-year career. He has instructed and mentored over 10,000 real estate agents at the highly acclaimed Champion School of Real Estate and is considered an expert in Texas residential realty. Robert is also an advocate of true entrepreneurial spirit and has helped many to transition from corporate America into the world of self-employment. And now live from the studio to your world, The The Smoker Broker.
1: Hey, welcome to Smoker Broker. I'm Robert Mesh and I'm the guy they call Smoker Broker. Hope everything's going well. Uh, we are into the high peak barbecue season. We're actually having a good barbecue season for once because COVID is, well, you never say COVID's gone, but it's its not as bad as implementation-wise for us doing things in the general public. So we actually have an active schedule for once uh, for the spring. So we are getting back out there. As y'all know, we don't do any of the events that we used to. Uh, we're, we all work for a living and it's not... Um, easy for us to do the barbecue events like we do but we like to do some charity ones every once in a while i did post uh well you're going to be seeing this where it would have been a week ago um but uh, we've got one coming in at the end of april whatever that last week is in april the friday uh we're going to be out there in fort worth at the panther pavilion and uh, thank you 29th and 30th 29th is probably night you want to be there uh so uh, we invite anybody who wants to come out uh, that is a hell of a time Uh, get a lot of good barbecue for free from us and we actually show you a lot of the stuff that we do sometimes especially if you're close to us so uh nice that we're doing one in dallas fort worth or change of course we have our big one in uh galveston uh that may 14th or 15th weekend or whatever the one after mother's day that friday night that's a big one so for the south texas folks uh, that's a hell of a, a time that that that's a a three-day just awfulness, um, but fantastic time, uh, and it's good that we are back into uh, being able to experience that a lot more uh, than we normally have. We actually had another event planned uh, during that time frame, but it got pushed back because it fell on Easter, so that's because uh, we were looking forward to that one, but uh, it's good to see that those events are coming back, to, uh, really trying to return to some type of normalcy that we haven't had in a long time. I'm going to jump right into it because it's a longer subject. Uh, if you watched last week, we uh, were talking about agency. We gave you the foundation for agency and the initial understanding. Well, we're going to go ahead and continue. Now we're going to put into implementation why you needed to know the stuff from the week before to be able to understand the stuff we're going to talk about today. As always, I bring uh, the guys that work with me, uh, we are Pretty much all partners in this, uh, depending on where we're at. Um, Got Mister Gary Ritchie below, and he really is below. He helps us in the South Texas area, and uh, a longtime uh, mentor of mine. uh, uh, Pretty much taught me how to do a lot of this stuff. Then I got my buddy Brent over here, who helps me uh, do a lot. uh, Well, no, I say do a lot. He runs the firm with me and does just about everything uh, that you could possibly hope for uh, when it comes to running real estate everyone on this podcast is an expert in real estate and especially in agency law which is why we're going to have that concept and that conversation with you today because it's difficult and just like last week it's it is the most difficult one to explain and if you thought last week was somewhat difficult wait till you get to do this one because this one's much more difficult because we start talking about intermediary and that probably as far as I'm concerned is the most difficult concept to explain in all of real estate okay so we're gonna get that's gonna be the punchline to the end of this uh, hour that we're gonna have and it's gonna take us an hour to get to it but I can assure you for those of you that struggle uh, with this subject you to be a whole lot better in about 45 minutes if you're paying attention when it's over when it's so well hopefully in between <laughs> too. hopefully hopefully in between <laughs> so we talked about what you have to do when you first get into real uh when you first start talking to somebody we talked about the importance of is it a customer is it a client you're going to see now why that principle is so important because you really can't go further if you don't know who it is that you're dealing with so we talked about sub-agency, which really is non-existent today. Um, but now we're going to focus in on the intermediary relationship, uh, which is what we, the rest of the country refers to as dual agency. Dual agency and intermediary, it's really the same thing. Honestly, if you really wanted to dig down to it, it's the way the legislature named it per law and one minor difference when you don't represent one side of the other. But for our purpose here, They have the same damn thing. We just practice intermediary in Texas versus dual agency. And the concept is really revolving around how we can represent the same person or if it's the same broker that's represented. I'm going to break this out to be more detailed in a second, but that's what we're looking at. We're looking at, can the one broker be responsible for these two people? How can they do it? Which individuals can be involved? Because this does come up from time to time. It especially comes up in a market that's high paced that has quick sales where a lot of times the listing agent could in fact be the one that sells the property on their own. So this subject probably more than ever is important for you to learn right now. And and this is the part that scares the living hell out of me. And I've (laughs) talked about it for a year now in any type of presentation in front of thousands of people, no matter, I've said the same thing. And it's a common thing that every experienced broker right now is worried about. We have in the industry, a total of four to five years worth of hundreds and thousands of real estate agents who during that time have come into the industry. Some of them have become mega agents during that time because of how good the market is. Some of them are rolling in money that they never thought they would have, thinking this is the greatest career ever, and it is, but for these people even more so, and none of them, not one, has yet to have to have a conversation with the seller, with the seller bitching at them that their house isn't selling because it's been three months and they haven't had to respond to that seller. Four to five years, of agents, which y'all, those of you who don't know anything about real estate, that's the toughest part. The toughest part is getting the seller off your back when they're saying it's your fault that their house isn't selling and anybody in the industry knows outside of a lack of communication or some just ridiculous incompetence that we do from a financial standpoint of comping their house. There ain't nothing we can do to that house. that's going to make it sell quicker than anybody else. So when the seller typically bitches at you for it, you're like, it ain't me, okay? There's usually only two reasons a house does not sell. And the number one reason if you're playing the family feud, they ain't even close second, is that it's just overpriced, okay? Then the other one is there's something weird about it. Backs up to a major row, there's a weird configuration, the kitchen's too small, the family, there's something in it that people just don't like, okay? Well, we have hundreds and thousands of agents that have never had to have that conversation. It's kind of what we refer to as dogfighting skills. skills. Yeah. They don't know our agents right now, the four to five last four to five years. Yeah. And I'm talking to you. If you've been, you haven't done this for four or five years. It means you. you, you haven't done this yet. You haven't had that conversation. And i got news for you. That ain't the fun one. That is the hardest thing we do is sit in front of the seller when they're on our ass about why their house hasn't sold and us being able to use our expertise telling them, this is why it's not selling. The number one skill that we have is not being used by over 98% of the existing agents that have been practicing for only four or five years. And that is just absolutely scary. Now, the reason why I go through this point, we're about to start talking about those same agents selling the property being the one agent to two people and they don't even know that concept. And now we're about to talk about how they handle an intermediary. Good Lord. Talk about a pile of lawsuits. I have a few regrets in my life. I'm going to tell you the biggest one. I wish I had got my law degree with my real estate license because I promise you I would at least have $50 million in wealth right now because I know exactly where to go to find the people that would need that type of expertise. Because in my opinion, most of those people probably could sue the agent that they're dealing with that deal with this subject we're about to talk about. That's how serious that is. All right, so you have intermediary. If you want to break it down to its most simplistic term, intermediary is an old Latin term that refers to in between, in the middle. And every broker is an intermediary which means the broker is always in the middle. They can't side one way or the other. Want a layman's terms for a broker? They're a bookie you ever seen trading places where he he, he, he he's explained to him the commodities and he goes, we take their orders and we take the gains. He goes, the best part is even if they lose, we still get, it's the same thing. All right. So the, they're in the middle. But they can't help either way. There's two types of intermediary. You have intermediary with appointments and you have intermediary without appointments. Now, more of our core audience are newer agents, uh, but some of our agents, we do encourage, or some of our our viewers, sometimes we encourage them that if they feel they weren't able to explain this topic better. Sometimes they'll tell their client, look, you need to watch this because this is what I'm telling you because this is what happened, all right? So when we're talking to the general public, you'd be surprised. Some of you have gone through this and you're like, damn, that is not what happened. And I knew something went wrong when we did this. This is another concept that a lot of people don't like to hear if it's been after the fact. So let's do the easiest one. Let's do intermediary with appointments this is where let's say i'm the broker and brent is the listing agent and he works at our brokerage and let's say gary is um, the buyer agent and he works for the brokerage as well the key here is that both of them have clients not customers clients brent has a listing a seller which is a listing client and gary actually has a buyer who is a client all right? You cannot have intermediary without two clients. It's got to be two clients. One way or the other. It's got to be two clients in there because if you don't have the two clients, then it's not intermediary. And that's a that's a, a basic foundation principle too. And I'm going to tell you, that's the one that's the scariest because one of the biggest amounts of trouble you can get into is to act like the other person's a client when they're not and I'm going to get to that in a minute too All right, so let's say in this situation Gary brings his buyer to Brent's listing and I'm the broker they work under the same brokerage this is a classic example of intermediary with appointments business is as usual nothing changes Brent can give all the advice and opinions which is the key to his client gary can give all his advice and opinions to his client the only difference is that they both have to disclose to their clients that they work for the same broker this is what we call an intermediary with appointments there is in fact a separate document that acknowledges this relationship 99.99999 of the general public they don't give a damn that they are in an intermediary with. As long as they are getting their advice and their opinions, they don't care. I guess if they paid enough attention, they would argue that, well, you guys work for the same broker, y'all are in it together, if they were super smart. But if they knew the reality of it, most of the agents that work in larger firms, that's probably the best they're ever gonna be represented because usually those agents wanna kick each other's ass Versus an outside one, so you're actually better protected there. Now, a mom and pop, where there's only two or three, that would probably be the valid question as to where well, you guys talk a lot, don't you? But it rarely comes up. In fact, it rarely comes up so much that I don't even talk about it. It's the easiest one we do. Most of the time that we're going to spend here for another what, thirty or forty minutes, it's going to be on the next one, which is intermediary without. All right, britt take you through this one on the enemy area without, what happens now? Let's say you're still the listing agent. What happens in this particular case? What's gonna happen in the situation we
2: just described? So without appointments, that means you show up and you haven't scheduled anything. So you don't have an appointment to meet with the client. No, no. <laughs> okay, sorry, I've been waiting for that. I was just waiting for my turn. Okay, so without appointments, that means that you know the same agent Is going to be representing both the buyer and the seller. They have clients. This has nothing to do with the buyer being a customer. They have to be clients for in order for it to be considered intermediary, without appointments. And use
1: the the example we were talking about.
2: Well, I'm okay. So, you know, if I had a uh, my listing and a buyer comes through, and it's my buyer, then I can I have to basically tell them, "Hey, look, I represent both of you, so I can't give you advice or opinions." And uh, you're going to have some pretty pissed off clients, pretty sure.
1: Okay. Gary, sorry. Jesus. My ADD medicine that Brent loves God. has to go in right now. So that's what's in my mouth.
2: i got you to do this after the radio show. Well, <laughs> I do
1: it because there's a little bit of dead time when it kicks in. So I'm going to use it on here. And then when I get to one o'clock, bam, I can hit it. So that's why it's- To weird. the
2: moon, Alice. <laughs> Don't
1: do the show that Gary started out with. (laughs) Go through the technical side of it. What is it that's actually happening in that intermediary without appointments?
0: Well, in that particular case, and I use this example whenever I'm explaining agency to not only new agents or recently licensed agents, but also clients. Because they need to know the real deal. You know, whenever you have somebody walk into an open house, like Brent has a lot of open house clients, and he says, well, I'm holding this house open. You know, you can come by between 1 and 3 on Sunday. He's been working with this buyer. This is in the neighborhood you guys really, really like. This is that client you met in the line at the grocery store, by the way, Brent. And it just so happens that Brent did the right thing when he carried forward where we're looking for a house in McKinney in this neighborhood Brent. Gave them the IABS notification. Said, "Hey, look! If you really want me to work in your best interest, you know, there's a buyer representation agreement. You formally employ me as well. But you've got a you've got a kind of a conflict here. You got a seller who thinks you work for him or them, and you've got a buyer that you met, and they think you work for them and and the way it's explained to him says, I can give you advice and opinions and, you know, give you certain negotiating strategies and market awareness and so forth and so on. And they said, Yeah, we got the right guy until they walk into Brent's open house and the wife says, Oh my gosh, it's perfect, you know. And that should put a red alert in Brent's mind and going, Okay, so. And then they say the most terrifying words that a new buyer has to say to an existing listing agent. We want to buy it. Can you help us? Uh-oh. Yep. I <laughs>
2: well,
0: would yeah, always argue in today's
2: market, it would be better to do an intermediary transaction without appointments. Because you could let the buyer and the seller sit across from each other and they can negotiate the ridiculously overpriced offers and, and so, waivers
1: now that is a very yeah. good point from an extremely intelligent guy that i don't give a lot of credit to I think that's the opposite. Car. i actually give a ton of credit that is something i have not looked at and i know gary is pausing on it too because yeah. you're right i have not thought about so for everybody brent's discussing we nobody wants to do an without nobody intermediary without just the worst because this advice and opinions that can't be given type of thing but what brent is super smart on is he's picked up on the market is so horrible right now from a negotiation standpoint that a lot of times we get blamed for it because we have to go so high if there was ever a time that you actually probably wanted it maybe is now the time so we don't have to get involved with how far it went it was like hey you guys talked about it I don't know what else I can do now. Look, I don't want to, I don't want to take away from we're still there to give expertise and help
2: because right. we are.
1: But when they start going 40, 50, 100 to 200 K over, I think expertise starts going out the window at some point. And, and at that point, it's like, hey, you guys, if y'all want to do that, y'all can talk it out. So Brent is super sharp to pick up. That's an alternative, probably for the first time in ever. That someone would say, maybe it's not so bad that they do that. So let me give a, a clear picture of what both of them have been talking about. And, I, and It's because I teach this all the time. So I have a very structured flow, but their input's awesome because it gives you the real view as to what they're looking at. Let's go back to the other example where they were both having their buy and sell. So this time, Gary's out of the picture. Brent brings his buyer client to his listing client. Okay. And that person, the buyer wants to put an offer on Brent's listing, right? This is an intermediary without appointments. It means the broker is not appointing Brent to one side or the other. In fact, Brent becomes the form of the broker himself, because now he becomes the intermediary. But if you've been paying attention, the intermediary is always in between. And if Brent's the only one who's in between, that means he has to remain neutral. And if he has to remain neutral, that means he cannot give advice and opinions. And my friends, that is what's going to make the next, I don't know, 30 minutes, a real pain in the ass for us. Mm -hmm. Because when you can't give advice and opinions to the two people who hired you specifically for that reason, You've got problems and, you know, you can sit there and say, well, how hard can it be? I'm like, you can't define how hard. Yeah. Right. You can't define, you don't even know. You don't know how hard it is. My favorite in this conversation is the, um, a lot of people think that, well, if we can get past the negotiation, we really don't need you. I'm like, ah, I go, that's the easy part. It's the other shit that's hard. <laughs> go, any any fool can get the price to where it needs to be. It's the other stuff that nobody knows how to deal that causes mm. the problem. You know, I don't think a lot of people realize this, but most of the deals that are ever lost are due to inspections. It has nothing to do with the price itself. But the, that's a, a terrible myth in the, in the world out there that uh, – the the price negotiations are really what killed the deal it's usually the contents of the deals and the inspections uh, and the requests that cause problems that's like step one yeah. because remember from the first part there's no advice and opinions given now let, let's play this out so you can see it now i've always taught by example i think that's the best way you can't read the stuff so you might as well learn by example brent had his buyer Go to his listing. So we're going to start. Remember, I told you we're going to go in circles. But we're going to end at a very defined point. So we're going to start kind of closing in the half circle to get to the final point there. If Brent takes his buyer client to his seller client, what's the first thing he damn well better have done before he walked in there?
2: Well, I mean. The buyer find, well, he's already signed a buyer's rep. He's already signed an IBS. But as far as letting them know, hey, just so you know, I represent the seller on this one, this is my listing.
1: Yeah. I can't be more clear to you. You sign these documents. Actually, you signed two. You signed the IBS, which warned about it. You signed the buyer rep, which actually told you about it to do. Yeah.
0: And that's how I
1: said supposed to, right, Gary?
0: supposed to, quote unquote. But here's the bad thing about that situation: the seller trusts Brent, or they wouldn't have hired him. The buyer trusts Brent, or they wouldn't have hired him. And let's let's just throw a little twist in there because this actually happened to me one time. What if the buyer is a relative? He's <laughs> you, like trying to Robert give everybody a
1: headache today, Gary. <laughs>
0: sell, selling the house to his brother, you know, and it was going to what if don't do brother
1: because the brother doesn't do a mother or father or or daughter because the brothers not they don't have to be disclosed. although that could be just as nasty or is that the point you're you're making it could be nastier because of that yeah i agree it
0: it, it's really really a a complicated situation because you got to explain to your own relative okay i'm going to show you this house i've got it listed i know that i told you Originally, I would work in your best interest, but because of the laws in the country of Texas, I can't give you advice and opinions as to what to offer, how to do it, whether it's a good deal, bad deal. You know, all I can do is just walk through the house like a cigar store and then and point out, oh, aren't these lovely? Look at the way the light comes through the windows. You know, but no advice and opinion. Well, so
1: His, his explanation is so good because he's <laughs> dis- he's displaying a point that's really not emphasized enough and i love the way he did it you know who really believes if it's a brother that at least you give a shit about that you're really going to remain impartial and not give them advice and opinions that in itself is going to be tough but even the client that you have i love the way he said that they hired us because they needed our expertise for the advice and the opinions that buyer going to have questions. You've yeah. got to know it. They're going to have it. And the fact that we told them we can't answer them, when we go in there, that's going to be a problem at some point or another.
0: And here's How the typical it, response. Yeah, honestly. And then Brent can chime in on this. Your, <laughs> your brother or your relative, or even worse, the client that's got it listed with you, said, well, if you can't negotiate in my behalf and advise me how to proceed what am i paying you for that's right that's
1: right what am i paying for actually Hmm. let's let's go that route too so brent brought his client in there he was clear to them because he's a good agent he told them what they're what they should have already known (laughs) and of course just like gary said earlier you would think it's the greatest thing for us it's actually not what we usually want to hear but the buyer says, I want to put an offer on this. Some of you are like, well, wait a minute. Why would you because believe me? That sucks when they do it. Because when they say that, you're just like. Because now it's where they're going to. They've been told. Both sides have been told about the no advice and opinions. Didn't mean a damn thing until they have to start asking the questions about a contract. And now they're going to start seeing that this is a problem. All right. So let's play through that. We can't give them advice and opinions buyer wants us to put a contract. <coughs> buyer agent typically drafts the contract. So buyer Brent's buyer client's going to go to Brent, hey, I want to draft an offer. Just like we said earlier, they're going to ask Brent all the obvious questions. What do you think I should offer for? I can't tell you that. I represent the other side. When should I close? I can't tell you that. I represent the other side as well. Well, what the hell can you do for me? Not much right now
0: look at how the light kind come, comes through
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> give you decorating decorating so, tips
1: <laughs> this is the point i like to make to a lot of people now one of the most unfortunate things in the last two years and it's funny nobody talks about it enough but it's a tragedy we've gotten so used to sending DocuSign, nobody explains the documents anymore and okay. you know at some point and even though I risk saying it because it causes us more work, somebody's probably going to have to do something about that. It's only a matter of time before the millions of clients and millions of cl- that are dealing with this, they're going to say something like, you never told me explain the shit to me. I just signed it. You know, And where we used to be very detailed. Now, the reason why I'm saying that here, this used to be a skill that when we took a listing or we took a buyer, we went through that paperwork. And one of the steps that was difficult was explaining the intermediary situation. Now, ironically, the intermediary instructions are the same word for word in the listing agreement and in the buyer representation agreement, okay? But here's the problem. If you're explaining it to somebody, I just told you that we've got agents that This for five to ten years that don't understand the concept. Hell, we have people that teach that don't understand the concept sometimes. (laughs) Do you really think the average person that's sitting at the kitchen table while you're going through this just not listening to a damn thing you're saying? They've got like a 12-inch hoagie, mayonnaise is dripping off the side of their face, and they're watching the stars game or the Simpsons in the background while you're going blah 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 intermediary. Do you think they're listening to one word? You're saying no, but then fast forward to where we are now, and they want to put an offer, and they start asking Brent these questions, and the first one is how much an offer. I'm like, hey, look, y'all, we talked about this. They're like, no, we did, not they go, yeah, we did, but you had that sandwich stuffed in your face, and you were watching Beavis and Butthead, and now <laughs> it's happening. Now you are Beavis and
0: Butthead. (laughs) And
1: I like to use the Beavis and Butthead reference because my favorite with them is when they go into their head and there's a dead mule and there's flies over it. That is exactly what the problem is. Because they don't know. So we got agents that are 10 years in that don't understand it. And now this guy that was eating the sub sandwich is trying to figure it out and piece it together in the two minutes that he has or she has. Shit, this is a disaster waiting well, to happen. And I think
2: you can also argue that the, <laughs> the seller has the advantage because you've already gone through pricing strategy with them. You've already told them what to expect. Don't ask for it. Don't allow any repairs, stuff like that. So they've already been coached. I mean, the sellers are probably going to be fine all the way through without any more advice and opinions because you've heard right. that already. The biggest
1: takeaway from both the shows, the one from last week and this I'm week, out.
2: is just what he said. Yep.
1: Biggest takeaway. There is no doubt that the biggest problem with any intermediary with out appointments. And the litigious part is what he just said. Remember, we still represent the buyer and the seller. We do. We have signed agreements with them. The reason why this is so litigious is because we're supposed to represent them to their best interest. But we know in this situation, y'all, there will be a winner and there will be a loser. There is no in between and we at times get to witness. It's going to be, they're both our clients. So someone's going to get their ass whipped and and we're supposed to be defending that person Mm -hmm. and we're not allowed to. And that's where this gets litigious. I'll I'll, I'll spell it out even further for you. So Brent brings his clients in. (laughs) He told them that they can't do advice and opinions. They've already yelled at them, whatever, and they said, fine, whatever. The only thing they can do now is go at the kitchen table, or it'd be a Zoom table now, I guess. One person sits at this end, (laughs) one person sits at that end, and then we're in between, just like the definition of intermediary says. We take the contract, and we give it to the buyer, and they actually have to fill it out. So the first part's obviously the 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 amount they want to offer. So the house is listed at 400,000. They write down, um, we'd like to offer 380. They give it back to the seller, the sellers like eh, a lot of interest on in the house. I don't think that's gonna work. Hands it back to the buyer and the buyer goes, okay, then we'll give 400. So you happen to know for a fact that nobody's even looked at the house. So the seller's over there saying, we've had a lot of interest in your like, and you can't say anything to them. That's right. And then the buyer goes from offering 380 to just saying, ah, oh, screw it. I'll just go ahead and go full, full price. And then you kind of look over at them and you can't say anything because both of those actions deserve, but what the, what are you doing? You're lying and you're an idiot. Why would you, tell? Why don't you tell him that there's thousands of other houses? Well, this, this conversation actually isn't good for this market, but historically this conversation right. is correct. Why don't you tell him or her that you can go to a thousand other houses and he has to sell his, you can go wherever. Tell him to get lost, but he's over there taking it. By the way, the rest of the contract, that's exactly what happens. Yep. The seller sets the the, the the criteria and the buyer Takes it. And you know why? And Brent was right on the money too. You know why the seller, no pun intended, has the greatest home field advantage in this process? By evidence of that buyer just being there. The fact that the buyer's there, this isn't some, we don't just randomly put offers on houses. At least most people don't. And the ones that do, I question. Uh when we put an offer on a house, we we have a pretty distinct interest. So the seller knows damn good and well you want it. That's the biggest advantage in itself that the seller knows that. The second big advantage is exactly what Brent said. The bigger issue we have here is even though we're not allowed to give advice and opinions, we already gave advice and opinions to that seller two months ago when we took that listing appointment and we basically spilled our guts. Guess what happened in the listing appointment? We told that seller how much we thought the house was worth. We told them what they should probably list it at to get what it's worth. We told them where the offers were going to come in. We told them how we would go back and forth. Y'all, we told them exactly what we do. In fact, the most intelligent seller in the world, in this type of situation would be like, after we do a listing appointment, would be, I don't need y'all anymore, I've got it. Which they'd kind of be close to right. Now the other 50% is pretty tough, but they would be right in the fact that they do have 50% of what we're already paid for right there.
2: Let me ask you this, because this would be kind of completely opposite, right? And it's, It's something that we would probably deal with now in this market where we just said, you know, if it's an intermediary without our uh, without appointments, and that seller already has the strategy that you've already given them, what if right. you have multiple buyers that are under con or their you know buyers rep their their clients, and then you get word that there's going to be a house that they want you to list, but you haven't signed a listing agreement yet. So you're, you know, do you tell your buyer, hey, I, this house is probably going to be my listing. You know, I would probably offer X on it because you don't represent the seller yet. So then, I mean, that's a, a really tricky thing that we're probably going to see
1: now. So there's no doubt that's the gray area. Um, and it's it's funny because we're going to end this conversation here in a bit with the open house series. And I say it's interesting because I actually think the open house is one of the most useless things historically that we do. And I'll tell you <laughs> why in a minute.
2: I'm doing but, one on Saturday.
1: <laughs> but I utilize it because it shows the best complete path how we get to the end and one of the things he's talking about is one of the issues that comes up what if the person is a client at one point we do spill our guts and they go i don't want it and then they go and then we do pick up a listing and then they come back we're like well we already told them everything now the obvious answer is it has to be disclosed that that person knows right but That never fares very well. No one's ever going to fare well in the fact that they've been told about the property. So, this advice and opinion is that's super powerful. You know, if you wanted to put it in layman's terms, when the buyer and the seller meet and they're negotiating amongst themselves, that buyer is walking into a gunfight where Mm -hmm. they don't even have a gun. And not only does the seller have a gun that's pointed at them, it's fully loaded full metal jacket and they are about to just abuse that buyer and we're going to witness it and not be able to do a damn thing and that's how this intermediary relationship ends up in court because at some point there is a loser and the loser doesn't like it let me tell you another thing that we see a lot from the court side and any arbitrations that I've sat on before on this type of stuff because by the way it's usually arbitration and ironically Arbitration, always a winner, always a loser. Always okay? a loser. always a loser. Yeah. Seller, I I usually ask this, who should be more upset in this transaction when we start to pursue it? Now, if you've already heard what we've said, you would argue the buyer, because they're just getting screwed, which I think most experts mm-hmm. say that's probably correct. But the seller's probably going to have a little bit of a beef, too. Yeah. So we met with the seller before when we took the listing. Let's just say we decide we're going to charge him 6%. Brent's pretty psycho about charging 6%. I don't think I have ever in my life, but Brent does. So, uh, And I'm proud of him for it. Um, yeah, you know, people could say I always push my way and I always think I'm right. That's bullshit. Anybody who knows me really close, Brent would be the first one to tell you. Me and him don't see eye on a lot of things, and I still respect him for doing certain things. Like I don't like his six percent all the time, but he pushes it. and He's good at it. You know what? He does deserve it. So let's say that he does the uh, uh, the six percent with the seller. So they get to the intermediary. We tell the seller. That was eating the hoagie at the time that uh we can't give them advice and opinions anymore and they're like well wait a minute i thought that's what i hired you for and like i know but i told you that this situation could happen and you didn't disagree with it so i marketed it that way and here we are but guess what it was six percent in the beginning with advice and opinions now they're is not any advice and opinions, but guess what? There still is. Still 6%. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times, the seller will start doing shit like, oh, this is ridiculous. You you just love this. You're walking yep. out of here with double what I was going to pay you. You don't have to do a damn thing now.
0: You're right. <laughs> That's exactly what am I paying you for. Uh-huh. I will
1: tell you, that is one of my biggest pet peeves. And this is where it is hard to expertise in real estate because it's very hard to keep your cool because you probably, if you are the expert, you're really the only one who understands this because nobody else does. But if they did, your response to them would be, hold on for a second. We agreed that you were paying 6%. Yeah, the likelihood was going to be 3% to me and 3% to somebody else. You're mad right now. Because I'm the only agent and you think I'm getting paid double because we agreed yep. on that 6%. But the truth is, I can take this buyer anywhere I want and get 3% and not take any shit for it at all. Yep. You asked me to sell your house. I told you this was an alternative. So I said, I'm going to kill two birds with one stone here. I'm going to honor the agreement that we have and sell you that, get your house sold. And I'm actually going to honor the agreement I have with the buyer that wants to buy your house and I'm going to get it sold for you. And you're over here giving me crap about it. The only one who should be upset about this is me because it becomes more difficult for me to even go through this transaction because of the legalities that are wrapped around it. And the undoubtedly comments that I'm going to get, that are begging for advice and opinions. If the seller's chewing my ass out for it, I'm gonna go, I'm just doing what you told me to do. It's not my fault, you weren't paying attention and not listening yep. when I said this might happen. And in all honesty, a really intelligent seller, when they hear that intermediary, they'd be like, no way, that ain't ever gonna happen in this day my lifetime. So you can just scratch through that stupid paragraph that would be the most intelligent seller I've still waited till the one day I ever hear a seller do that. I'd be like, congratulations, you win the prize because nobody ever does it because that's what they should immediately do. They should be like, no way. I'm not doing it.
2: Well, do you so, want to go into the kind of the solution for that? I do. Uh, yeah. okay. I do.
1: And I'm right. Yeah, there. How do
2: we avoid that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, in having one of the largest real estate teams in the country, we see this probably on a week or a monthly basis.
1: We do. We um, at least have to comment on it.
2: Um, yeah, bi weekly or so. Yeah. And it's, it's such, and an, easy it's such yeah. an easy fix. It's such an easy fix. and it's basically and it, So work.
1: actually that's the better way to do it. Let's talk about the let's talk about the obvious and then let's use the model so we can sum everything up. Yeah. Okay. Y'all, if the wheels are spinning fast enough and the hamster's running fast enough right now, everybody who's already in real estate, you probably should have come to the conclusion that intermediary without appointments sucks and nobody wants it, and everybody would avoid it. If you're really smart, you would have already figured out, you'd have been like, well, why don't we just do the intermediary with, because that wasn't bothering anybody. And if you're really, really, really super smart, you would know the only problem with doing that, which, by the way, that is the correct answer. Most people in the brokerage will typically say, we need to get another agent involved, so that we have representation on both sides. But there's one problem. That was Brent's buyer. He was set to make 3%. He's now knowing that he probably needs to give that off to somebody else to just keep from this becoming more and more of a mess than it is. Do you really think Brent, if he's been working for somebody for two or three months and shown them a thousand homes, is really ready to go to somebody else in the firm and go here, you seem like a good person. You yeah. can have this 3%. <laughs> he would never do that. He yeah. would never do it. In fact, what it looks like, if you're smart, is you go find someone who's hungry, someone who's capable. You're not going to give it to the dipshit in the office, but you're going to go find someone who's capable and go, this is on a silver platter. I'm going to give you 1500 bucks for it. You're welcome. Now, sometimes you'll get a smart ass agent and it'll be like well i want to negotiate oh i'm sorry you can have 1500 or nothing and now you've chose nothing so you go to someone in that office is going to do it for 1500 and the point becomes is someone like brent willing to lose 1500 if he ends up getting this deal done for both these clients versus getting his full six percent yep. if he's smart and he is he's going to be like yeah to avoid legalities on a 1500 hundred dollar reduction sure okay that is what the proposed way is now let's end this and i love this my favorite thing to do because a lot of times when people have gone through both these sessions they're like i think i get it and i always like to end with no you don't (laughs) like to screw you up so it's ironic it's perfect timing because it's just enough time to finish this example historically open houses are a joke most people go to an open house to waste time. They have no intention of buying the house. That's not true right now. In yeah. fact, it's hard to teach right now because almost every principle that we teach is not correct because of the market. But historically, most people don't go to an open house to buy the house. They're usually, I mean, I've got articles where uh, tips for how to handle your infant when they're crying or they have colic, and it says go to open houses. I mean, that we, we've seen that before, okay? but I love to use the open house as a great final summary of everything we've been talking about for the last two weeks. So think about it. Gary's holding an open house. Brent's a uh, a random buyer. He comes in. Gary's first thing he should do. He should do the yada, yada, yada. Disclosure representation. My name's Gary Ritchie. I work for the SWR group at Kelly Williams. I represent the seller. Disclosure representation done brent goes does he need to do a disclosure of agency at this point no brent hasn't said anything yet so (laughs) brent goes and looks at the house comes downstairs and goes this sucks i'm out from the beginning to the end brent was what in that entire situation a customer he's a customer we don't owe him a damn thing don't have to tell him anything all right Brent comes back, second Brent, different type of Brent, comes back in, Gary, yada, 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 disclosure of representation. Brent looks at the house, comes down, but this time he says, and notice the house down the street, the exact same house, and it's 20K less. Why is that? Hey y'all, this is where almost every agent under five years is doing an open house, F's up. Mm -hmm. I can promise you right now, this past weekend, probably happened 5,000 times in every open house that was done in Texas alone, God forbid, the rest of the country, where when they were asked that question, the moment they opened their mouth, unless they gave one precise response, they screwed it up. Now, everybody who's watching, y'all should know damn good and well what most people respond to that. Why do most agents do open houses anyways? They do it to pick up buyers, which, by the uh-uh. way, is terribly, it's inco- terribly incorrect. I do to
2: sell the house. <laughs> <clears throat>
1: Dummy. <laughs> he knows that that's what he's supposed to do. The rest of them don't. In fact, it, it cringes my stomach. When I hear someone try to pick up clients, I'm doing open house. I go, that ain't why you're supposed to be doing that open house. You're supposed to sell it first because you work for the brokerage, and we all represent that damn seller. You're supposed to sell the house first. Now, after... You've done everything you can to sell the house. Now you can go try to get them as a buyer. Nobody ever does that. So they ask the questions. They ask the question, the agent responds. Nine out of 10 times, you're going to get something like this. Well, you know, I'm almost done with this open house. You know, as soon as we're done with this, we'll go look at that one. Boom. Boom. That's right. If you're the seller and you're like listening, which by the way, 63% of them are listing one way, are watching now. Right. They'll come out of that wall and go, What the hell? Yeah, I'm the Lord you're supposed of the Ring. <laughs> you're breaking the greatest form, the most sensitive, most sacred part of our, our, our relationship, and you're breaking it so you can go make a buck with somebody else. Right, that's the first thing. One of my favorites is where an agent actually compiles a list of the other homes available in the neighborhood. And yeah. puts them. I'm like, I guess <laughs> like, you documented your stupidity. That's even better. Uh, it's in writing. The no. other way you could have got <laughs> away with and said, no, it was verbal. I was joking. Now you documented it.
2: Hey, let me ask you, know you how this. To do that? How does disclosure disclosure of representation work when you're holding an open house for another agent in your firm? I know your not broker not, it, represents it. it.
1: You are them. Y'all are all the broker.
2: I usually do it. I say, my firm represents the seller, but I'm not the listing agent.
1: So that's fine. But you yeah. still represent that seller. And you would ha- you would technically have to say you represent the seller.
2: Yeah. Yes,
0: yes, absolutely. You do.
1: Because we're all the same. We're all the same. Not, you represent I'm the seller. <laughs> you are definitely not. <laughs> all right, so <laughs> this happens. And now if you're really paying attention, this is where we're going back. And we're saying this is where all this customer client shit comes in. This is where all this disclosure stuff comes in. This is where the customer client stuff comes in. You have to know who you're talking to when you open your mouth. The correct response, by the way, to that person that said the same house is down the street. It's 20K less. An experienced um, agent or broker would have immediately said, did you notice the hardwoods that we have in this house? They're about $20,000 worth of an upgrade. Yeah, but the other house, did you notice that you keep cutting them off because you're supposed to sell this house? Now, at some point, they're going to demand an answer. And then that's when you take your professional self and you go, look, I clearly told you who I was when you came in. That's why we do a disclosure representation. I hope you respect the fact that the question you're asking me, I can't answer because it would hurt the one person I represent. So I hope you understand I'm not being rude by not answering that. You know, if you do the process right, you might actually gain a client because if you fast forward this to a minute when you do try to make them a client, mm-hmm. the response should be, if you notice how much I defended my seller, you better damn well believe I do the same for you.
0: Okay? you.
1: So the final phase in that is. Brent says, uh, he asked that question. Gary gets the professional response. Brent says, you know, I'm just not interested. I think I'm just going to walk. And he's walking out the door. Now, Gary can stop him and say, well, hold on. I can help you with some other things if you want. The whole point, what we like to always tell everybody is we need to know that the seller was watching you and listening to you the entire time. That they would both agree that they know that that person is not interested in the house. And now they're like, hey, great job. Go get them for yourself. That's what we want. Okay. So Gary's just distinguished that. He goes, now go through the process again. Now, Gary, is he having a meaningful uh, conversation with this person? You better tell him what believe he has. Doesn't get any more meaningful. He's asking them about what their housing needs are. and They were in a house that they were looking for. Now he gives them an IBS. Right. And if he's really good, he follows up with the professionalism. Well, if you notice how I handled the seller and how I protected them, I do just the same for you as the buyer, would you be willing to sign a buyer's rep? And now he makes that buyer his official client. That is the correct, proper way. All right, now the one last thing, just to screw you up. So let's <laughs> say that, Brent's listing a home and he's doing phone time and he gets a call like at 11 o'clock in the morning. And this person says, yeah, I just did a drive by not an actual drive by. I mean, but they drove (laughs) by the house and they, they said they liked it. So they go, look, I saw that listing out there. um, And I'd like to look at it up when I get off work at seven o'clock, go through the process. If Brent's doing what he's supposed to do, he would give a disclosure of representation. He has to immediately tell that person, "Hey, look, just want to let you know, I work for uh, X and X Group. I uh, and I currently represent the seller. So just make sure you understand, I give all my advice and opinions to them." So disclosure of representation. This person says they want to go see that house. So Brent, so he's already done disclosure of representation. He shows up at seven o'clock. He's got that ugly face on that sign that he's sitting in front of, and the buyer shows up there and the buyer is about to go into the house. Are they having a meaningful conversation? Yeah. It doesn't get any more meaningful. The guy clearly said that he wanted the house. Now he's standing in front of it with the agent. He's about to walk in. IBS. Hey, before you walk in there, just want to go a little bit further than I did with you this morning and read you your rights. I represent that seller. And all my advice and opinions go to them. I can't give you any type of help or any advice and opinions. You need to know that. Anything you tell me, I have to tell my seller. If I was a really professional agent, that's how I would do it. Probably less than 1% of them. them. Yeah, probably, which is fine. So they probably less than 1% of them do it like that. That's the way you're supposed to. Because you disclosed who you were. You read them your rights. Have you done everything you pretty much can to tell that person, if I were you, I'd go get somebody.
2: Yeah. Yes. Right, and if you if you don't do that and that, that uh, buyer it discloses to you, hey, you know, I I mean, we're qualified for up to 525. I think this is how much we can offer. And then you tell them later, they're gonna be pissed.
1: That's right. You've broken the law. You've broken the law to them, you deceived them. That was the whole point. They created the damn thing because that's exactly what happened. Those people would say, well, I'm willing to pay 600, but don't tell them that. They were obliged to.
0: But they shared that information when they were still a customer. And they
1: didn't know because someone didn't read them the rights like they're supposed to. If you follow the process, Right. The process works. Okay, so right. let's down. go a little further with it. Brent, uh, um, buyer looks through the house. Remember, this is not a represented buyer. This, And we're making the assumption this buyer does not. We're making two assumptions here. The buyer does not have um, any representation, and they are going to, in fact, buy this house. Okay? You have right. to have those two to make this work. So buyer looks at the house and tells Brent, I want to put an offer on it. The number one question I'd ask you right now, for those of you watching that don't understand this process. Does Brent want that person? As a client. Or a customer now when I teach this, I do the Socrates method where I'm basically I want to hear everybody answer because I can promise you 20 years of teaching this subject. You will sure. get 50% of the class to say yes, he wants them as a client and you'll get 50% that say, no, he doesn't. And y'all believe it or not, the correct answer,
2: the one
1: time that we don't want somebody to be a client because if you already know what you're doing and you paid attention to everything we've talked about in these last two episodes, you should know damn good and well that if you make that person a client, now Mm -hmm. we're in an intermediary without appointments, which means we can't give advice and opinions to the buyer that we just met, which really isn't that big of a deal, but worse, now we can't give advice and opinions to the person we've been working for for three months that was going to pay us. We just made the person off the street equal to the person we've been working with with all this time. There's not a person yeah. on the face of this earth would say that that makes sense. Now, here's the best part, and then we're done because this is the biggest mistake that people make that buyer how do you think most listing agents treat this situation when the buyer says they're going to sign a contract what do you think most of them do because i can tell you right now the correct answer is not what they do
2: yeah you mean go ahead
1: Uh, no i will because i because it's a it's pretty specific a lot of the agents out there they'll treat that as an intermediary transaction because they were told from day one, someone scared the hell out of them, to be careful when you're dealing with, you're the only agent and there's two people. But what they failed to tell them is, it's more important if they're both clients. Right. That person is a customer. We don't owe them a damn thing. If you start treating that person like this is an intermediary, when you have no signed agreements and they really are a customer, now you're violating your relationship with the seller because you're supposed to be giving your seller advice and opinions and nothing to the buyer. If you go in and you say, well, they're both equal and you go to your seller, well, I'm in an intermediary transaction. We talked about this. I can't give you advice and opinions anymore. That could be worse than anything you do because one, it's incompetent Two, it's hurting the seller. And three, it's just not right. Because that buyer was never a customer. Y'all, do you know why I'm such an expert in that particular example? (laughs) Yep. That was me in year four with the production of 27 million.
2: Yeah.
1: 27 million a year, which y'all for a four-year agent, that's pretty damn good.
2: It's not that good.
1: Brent, are you are you at 27 million yet in 10 years? I'm not. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> Y'all, I am the biggest punchline to any story because I'm not afraid to expose my weaknesses. I'm not ashamed of anything that I do, which is why I love it when someone ever accuses me of being a know-it-all or arrogant. I'm like, Shh, you don't know shit about me. I would be the first one to call myself out I yep. use myself as the dummy because y'all, thank God for the four-year rule for lawsuits because if that person had any idea, they could sue me for that seller could sue me from here to kingdom come for me doing that. And y'all, I was smart and I went through that. I learned this stuff because I would learned the hard way. By the way, I'll throw out something for champions right now too. It was champions being an instructor. Yeah. Actually, I got to be careful here because I embarrass myself here too. It was actually <laughs> after doing a few classes where I heard someone say something. I'm like, wait a minute, I got that wrong. By the way, that's something might have been Gary or Randy, who was one of my other mentors. It might have been one of those two, but they said it. And I'm like, eh, I'm not doing it right. That's why I'm very passionate about teaching this subject. I know damn good and well what can happen to somebody because I lived it. You have to know what you're doing when you do these subjects. Y'all, that's the best we can do in trying to make this more clear. I've taught this many times, many different ways. I'm usually very honest if I thought the two episodes were good. That's about as good as it gets for these two episodes to get you to where you need to be. I can promise you right now, if you are a new agent, anything under five years, this is going to be life years ahead of where you'll be if nobody ever shows you how to do this. I can tell you if you've been past it for 5 years and really not had a lot of guidance this is good for you too and I can finally tell you if you ever have or currently have a seller or buyer that's going through this you should let them watch this because this is the right. best way they're ever going to understand what the hell's going on and y'all if you have no clue you.
2: you need to head to joinswr.com cuz you're on joinswr.com
1: y'all there's no <laughs> doubt that uh, if you We don't do this podcast for any type of money. We don't do it for any type of thing. God knows there's only so many people that watch. But we do have a very loyal following of people who respect the fact that we are willing to take our time, two hours just today alone, to show you how to do this stuff. We also do it because we do want you to know that is just the type of training that our guys get 24-7. We show them how to do all these things. We cater to part-time agents. We cater to full-time agents, but we especially cater to the part-time agents because you can't find that anywhere else. And this is the type of training and expertise they get. And by the way, in our particular team, the three guys here, and there'd be a different guy in certain regions um, where Gary's at, we're the only ones that help you with this stuff. We don't pawn you off on anybody. And we do gotcha. it typically within two-hour time frame, usually within 15 minutes. Very hard to find. Y'all, thanks for watching. We appreciate it. Uh, all your loyalty. Y'all have a great rest of the week. Uh, get in there in the spring. Start selling stuff. Get into this. Get involved. Uh, you're never going to get anywhere unless you do what you're supposed to do in real estate. you got to get out there and hit the pavement. Take care. See y'all soon.